Hey guys, it's the Princess of Pro Wrestling, SoCal Val, and you are listening to the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Reffin' Show. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Reffin' Show. Hello everyone, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. That would have to be the whole ref and show. Uh, my name is Perry Smith. My name is Darren Beasley, and it is exciting. I'm excited. Are you excited? Very excited. Very, very excited. I know our, uh, our hashtag dear listeners share that excitement. Uh, in the words of Bushwhacker Luke, they've never been excited. <laughs> they've never been excited in their entire life. Um, I believe you he says. That that's, do you know that's very? I can't find it. It's very hard to find. Yeah, I I always I, I put the WrestleMania on randomly, and I go, oh, it's that one because you hear him actually say, "I've never been excited well, in my entire life," but I always forget either, which one it is. Yeah, it's either four or five. It's one of the Trump Plaza ones. <laughs> we'll have I mean, to find that soundbite sometime. Um, I want to. I mean that. Here we are, 86 episodes in, and it has yet to be a stinger on the whole ref and show, and it absolutely should have been the stinger on at least two or three dozen episodes. Right. No, I agree with that. Um, it will not be the stinger on this episode, though, because now, now, now you see it coming. Um, so it is the 86th episode. Uh, apologies for not uh, having an episode last week. Uh, life happened. Darren, I believe you had, what, senior night? Is that correct? Uh, I did. It, uh, at, at the College Preparatory Academy, at which I am an instructor, uh, we were celebrating, it was the, it was the senior night, so we were celebrating the honor graduates and their, uh, academic, uh, awards, uh, class-specific, that's why I got to hand out, uh, as far as seniors, the only senior classes that I teach are government and economics, so I get to hand out the awards for those two classes. And uh, otherwise, I just got to sit there and uh, and uh, enjoy uh, my my colleagues as well as my students and I had a lovely catered dinner. Lovely. But, well, uh, you would know did, about catering. You would know a thing or two about catering as well. Well, I uh, you know, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, I have to say, I have to say this. This is, this is very funny that you mention it now. The, one of the other history teachers, I, I turned to him at one point and I said, I have done a lot of different things in this building. Now, the building to which I'm referring is the the conference center here in uh, Valdosta, Georgia, the James H. Rainwater Conference Center. It was uh, named after the far too many term mayor of Valdosta, Jimmy Rainwater, RIP. I have done a lot of things in that building, and I, and I decided this will be the time to tell my, uh, my history department colleague. I said, you know, we're sitting here now, and we're having this dinner here for a senior night. Um, I've actually been on the other side of this very situation, and I've catered events. As the catering director for Valdosta State University, I've catered in this building, once upon a time. Then I said, you know, as a matter of fact, I also sat in the audience uh, on a night when I received an award from the Chamber of Commerce for being the young professional of the year. (laughs) 
for the city and county, the, of which the Chamber of Commerce represented. And I said, and you might not know this, our dear listeners will know this, but uh, <laughs> I said, I've actually booked independent professional wrestling in this building. <laughs> because the Rainwater Conference Center is the building, in fact, in which one of the earliest guests we had on our on the whole Reffin show, Jody Peterman, former wrestling promoter, I, uh, when, when I worked for him as a booker, I was able to work with uh, certain individuals uh, like Goldust, Jay Lethal, among many others. I have my, my, my very favorite story about uh, acts of, de- <laughs> of demolition sitting in his underpants with his face paint on and his grandchild. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, of course, there's the truly infamous story, which I believe we're going to tell in episode 100. Correct. In episode 100, you'll get the you'll get the full, unedited, unadulterated glacier story. <laughs> but anyway, all of that happened in that building. And I sat there on senior night and I thought, what a weird building. If these walls could talk... Just about me. Just about me if those walls could talk. What a crazy thing. What a what, what a weird world. What a weird world indeed. My favorite uh, my favorite part about the conference center uh, has nothing to do with the conference center. The uh, the road that was created to get to the conference center is named Meeting Place. And I <laughs> I, I thought that was uh, I thought that was brilliant. Um, so yes. <laughs> Good stuff. So Darren was very busy. All, all, those, all those little birdies were leaving the nest. They were graduating. Uh, but now his summer vacation begins, which is very nice. Um, I was busy as well. Uh, I don't know what I was doing. I was doing something. But anyway, I was pretty busy. Uh, <laughs> so I don't have a, a, a good story to tell about that. But nonetheless, folks, we don't like to be away for, uh, for a week because that seems like forever in the wrestling world. But to be honest with you, not a whole lot going on uh, these days. We do have a couple of updates involving some wrestlers. A uh, friend of the show, Sue Young, a huge update uh, went down for Sue Young recently, uh, very recently, in fact, uh, on the day of this recording. Um, Enzo Amore, we have an update. CM Punk, we have an update. And we actually have someone on the show today, a special guest on the show. Uh, he is a cousin to few, a uh, friend to many, and a roommate to quite a few as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> his name is John Bring. He is a former writer for the TV show, the hit TV show, Supernatural. Um, and he actually wrote uh, the infamous wrestling episode. We're going to talk about that with uh, John. And also, he's been a lifelong fan of wrestling as well. He's been a lifelong fan of us, his good friends. And one of us is his, his cousin. Spoiler alert, it's me. Um, so, yeah, we always wanted to have John on the show. And we're happy to have him on the show on this day. I'm totally stoked. It's been a long time coming. John Bring should have been on this show long ago. But I think this is the perfect time. Uh, John Bring, who lives in Los Angeles, California. Uh, I guess it took one of us getting back to Los Angeles uh, to, to get John uh, feeling that proximity vibe. Got to bring, got to bring the good brother in when you're uh, living in the same county. It's different when a guest on the show is someone you already know, and it's like, well, if we want him on the show, I can call him up anytime. If it's like 
you know, Teddy Stigma when you don't know Teddy Stigma, or Rich Bokini when you don't really know Rich Bokini, or Leva Bates when you don't know Leva Bates, you know, it's like, oh, uh, Mr. Stigma, um, Mrs. Bates, Mr. Bokini, can you, you know, well, we'll move heaven and earth to have you on our show, but when it's someone you know, you're like, ah, we can call them anytime, but anyway. Uh, no time like the present on that now, folks. Uh, we're going to have John on the show. But before we do, we've got to get rid of those pesky headlines. Congratulations are in order for friend of the show, very good wrestler, very cool person, very nice person, believe it or not, even though she is portrayed as this crazy uh, monster uh, and she may very well be that, but uh, Sue Young, Sue Young is your current Knockouts champion and Impact Wrestling, defeating Allie in a last rights match, uh, putting on that mandible claw on Allie, making her pass out inside the coffin, closing the lid, and uh, turning the page, starting a new chapter as the Knockout champion uh, at Impact Wrestling. Sue Young is a regular Bob Seger turning the page, <laughs> turning the lid down on Allie. Making worm food out of Allie, who looked like she was taking a walk on the dark side. Nevertheless, it is Sue Young in all of her infamous spookiness, surrounded by a coven of like-minded individuals. These girls, they, they, they're half kabuki, half zombie. Uh, they definitely have a thriller strut, a walking dead pep in their step. And uh, last rights match, I guess that's the way that Impact uh, under Scott Demore and Don Callis are going to get away with having a casket match. Because this is just a casket match, and these, these zombie kabuki girls are just druids. And in this version, Soo Young is just the Undertaker, and yet the presentation seems fresh. It seems original, and I like it. It's a great, great visual. Right. Uh, it, it's it's bringing, uh, and <laughs> no pun intended here with them being undead, but it's sort of bringing this match back to life. It's uh, it's interesting because it's the first women's casket match that I've ever heard of. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that in itself is pretty cool. Also, the Undertaker is not exactly around anymore to have him. I know he had one. Recently in Saudi Arabia, you know, against Rusev. But before that, it's been a while. Um, so I feel like the casket matches, obviously you think of The Undertaker immediately, but it's not really his thing anymore. And and, and I've uh, I've always referred to Sue Young as The Undertaker of Fest Wrestling. So to me, this makes all the sense in the world. Well, yeah, and, and, and I think that it's pretty amazing that right out of the gate, uh, she hadn't been an impact that long. We're not only seeing her with the championship, but with a signature match, a signature feel. She's got that new entrance music. They are going whole hog uh, on Sue Young. I mean, they are absolutely strapping a rocket to her. And I'm glad. Right. She has the look. She has the talent. She has the ability. She has the charisma. Um, and, I, and, and she's a competent performer. I think she's a good person. She's always been a sweetheart to me. She's been a gracious guest to the both of us. Um, and she has fans all over the world. And I think that now being on national television, even though pop TV is hard to get a hold of, <laughs> uh, she's still on a huge platform. And now she's already at the top of the mountain. 
yeah. on that platform, and that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, again, major congratulations to Sue. Congratulations, Sue. Uh, it's great that Impact Wrestling is is uh, really putting a lot into you because they believe in your talent, and uh, rightfully so. You are a very talented individual. So all the best to Sue in the future. looks like things are going uh, pretty well for her. Uh, speaking of things going well for people, Enzo Amore. Uh, tell us about Enzo Amore, Darren. Well, Enzo, well, I mean, I, okay. Well, first of all, uh, if you were to ask him what he's going by, uh, he's not going by Enzo Amore. We, as we well know, WWE owns everything except for Hulk Hogan and CM Punk. <laughs> um, but so as, as the owners of the name Enzo Amore, I believe the artist formerly known as Enzo Amore is most, most of the time he's going by real one now, real and the numeral one. And, Part of the news uh, surrounding Real One is the release of a single he wrote called Phoenix, which is an atrocious rap song uh, in which he attacks <laughs> the false uh, accusations uh, that really cost him his WWE career, as well as a lot of lost money and uh, goodwill just in the eyes of the public. Um, in one of those situations where he was unfortunately uh, on social media where everyone is judge, jury, and executioner, he was guilty until found innocent. And I hate that. And as we've said before, I don't think Eric Arndt, the man behind Real One, the man behind Enzo Amore, I don't think Eric Arndt is an innocent man. I, I, I feel like he is not um, a, a spotless lamb by any means, but was he guilty of the horrible charges against him from this one particular woman? No, it seems as if those were outright lies. And so I'm really pleased for him that he has been exonerated uh, of those particular charges. But do is this the way you celebrate it? I mean, where's your cooth? Uh, uh, Enzo, where's your cooth, real one? Is this how you come back? Yeah, who who does uh, who, who does uh, uh, horrible rap songs attacking people he has beef with in the wrestling world? Besides the Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, by the way, if you haven't heard that album, folks, I mean, good for you. But listen to some examples of uh, Macho Man's rap. A lot, a lot of Hulk Hogan beef there. Believe it or not. Oh man, you gotta make sure you listen to "Be a Man, Hulk." <laughs> Which he might be talking about Bruce Banner. We don't know for sure. It's uh, uh, probably not though. But yeah, uh, actually, I was going to say earlier, CM Punk is the only one who actually owns his name because Hulk, because Vince McMahon might not own, own Hulk Hogan, but neither does Hulk Hogan. Marvel Comics, which I guess means Disney, owns the rights to. <laughs> To the Hulk name. That, that's pretty interesting because, I mean, uh, obviously the, the the name Hulk, like you just said, owned by Marvel Comics for all those years. Um, and Vince never wanted to change Hulk Hogan's name. I guess it would have been impossible. But all the credit in the world to WCW for changing Hulk Hogan's name eventually to Hollywood Hogan. And it worked. Um, and they didn't have to pay royalties for, for a good long while until he did an interview and someone called him Hulk Hogan. And then there was an issue, but anyway. And, you know, one of the things that uh, that is interesting is one of the many, 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 many 
uh, Instagram videos put out by Real One. I believe, in, in true Enzo fashion, where he refers to himself in the third person, I believe he referred to himself as Eric Anthony, which makes me wonder, first of all, first of all, first of all, first of all, is Anthony the real middle name, the, the given middle name of Eric Arndt, and we've just never seen that before, and is he, is he going with the Angelina Jolie, I'm going to go by my first and middle name, you know, drop drop the art, go by Eric Anthony, or is Anthony a fabricated name, a new screen name, pseudonym, nom de plume, whatever you want to call it, that he's going to go by because it's still his real life initials, but it's a little easier to say than art, A-R-N-D-T, which is, which kind of gives me like, like concussion syndrome when I try to pronounce that name. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I popped myself with that one. Um, <laughs> Darren is a big fan of himself, folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Eric Anthony. Are we going to see Eric Anthony show up on Impact Wrestling? We know Don Callis is interested in the entity, the artist formerly known as Enzo Amore. But will it be Eric Anthony that we see? Will it be real one that we see? Or... As fans have begun petitioning, will we see Enzo Amore back in the WWE? Only time will tell. I feel like it'll be a lot of time. I mean, at least a year or so from now. He's probably going to have a little run and, you know, impact or maybe ROH. I don't know. But he's going to be away for a while, long enough for people to be more receptive of a, a comeback. You know what I mean? And WWE, as it is now, it's like, ah, he's a scumbag, he's a scumbag. And he probably is a scumbag, but he's not guilty of, you know, the horrible crime that he was uh, accused of. So th- that's nice. But, um, yeah, I-, I think you just need a little bit more time to kind of distance yourself from WWE. WWE is in no hurry to bring him back. Um, I mean, they recognize he sold a lot of T-shirts, but they have so much talent right now. They don't need – it's not like there's, there's not like a there's not like a hole – there's not like a, a hole in the roster that, that needs to be filled, so that, that's definitely uh, that's definitely something to think about. Um, well, you know, there isn't a hole, but apparently, apparently, word around the campfire is Vince McMahon actually believes there is a gaping hole in the WWE roster that could only really be filled by CM Punk. Uh oh, and. You know, you got to remember, this is a Vince McMahon who doesn't believe in the main event power of people like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. He probably doesn't believe in the main event power of even people like Aleister Black or Adam Cole, baby. Uh, You know, Vince McMahon holds on to a few people. We don't know exactly what Vince wants. We don't know exactly who Vince wants, but we do know that he would love to have CM Punk back. For all the trouble that CM Punk has been to Vince McMahon, you know that dude is coming back if Vince has anything to say about it. Vince doesn't care about grudges. Vince doesn't care about nothing except dollars and cents. And CM Punk would bring dollars and cents in. We know that controversy creates cash. Our Lord and Savior Eric Bischoff told us so. But uh, we'll, we'll just have to see 
The court case, and that's the news topic, actually. The court case is what muddies the whole thing. Right. Well, I mean, if, if Vince ever brought back people who took him to court, uh, then <laughs> there would be a lot of people that you never would have saw again. Um, but anyway, no, CM Punk, if he comes back tomorrow, if he comes back in 20 years, one day eventually he will come back. You know what I mean? I know he's, he's too punk rock. To come back like anytime soon because like ah WWE fuck those guys right everybody but I mean well first of all well yeah first of all he's not appearing he, there's no imminent appearance first of all he's not going to come in while they're actually in court against him he's also <laughs> not going to come back while he still has a, a, a UFC fight on the docket you know um it's going to be a while it, it's not going to be SummerSlam it's not going to be Survivor Series. Might it be in time for WrestleMania next year? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe it's the night after WrestleMania next year. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of negotiation that's got to happen. But first of all, the court case has got to finish. That's got. To, it doesn't matter how it ends. It's just got to end. And he's got to go back in the octagon. He's got to get devastated again. And then he has to retire from cage fighting where he never belonged in the first place. Tell us how you really feel, Darren. That's how I really feel. CM Punk does not belong in any type of fighting except fake fighting. (laughs) I was going to say, but his UFC career is going so well, Darren. Um, Uh, I mean, CM Punk is an amazing fake fighter. Right. But he does not belong in octagon. Brock Lesnar belongs in an octagon. CM Punk... Not so much. I don't understand why CM Punk doesn't go to like ROH or New Japan in the meanwhile. I don't understand that at all. I think he's trying to be like this legitimate fighter in UFC, which I think one more loss and he'll be like, oh, okay, back to the scripted stuff. Um, and I think everyone would just rather have him do that. I was never a huge fan of CM Punk, I'll be honest with you. Um, he, he existed at a time where I really didn't watch wrestling as much as I do now or did you know then or whatever. So, like, he, he was never my guy. So, it, it, it he comes back fine. He stays away forever. That's fine, too. Um, I know a lot of you CM Punk fans out there are going, what are you talking about? Well, I mean, I'm a CM Punk fan, which you would never know the amount of shit that I talk about him. Yeah, but hey, I, that does surprise me, actually. Yes, that does surprise <laughs> me. I, I was a big fan of CM Punk, especially right before he left. When he was with Paul Heyman, when he was feuding with The Undertaker, when he had the shaved head... Uh, when you know cult of personality, the whole deal, and on the biggest stage possible with WWE, that was on fire. That was a moment, and he really shined in that moment. And I liked his journey to get there. I liked Straight Edge Society. I liked him in WWE, CW. I liked him with Raven in TNA. I liked him in ROH. <laughs> I've always dug CM Punk. I just don't like Phil Brooks very much. I think it's the whole thing of where I don't like I don't like Roman Reigns, but Joe Anawai might be an okay guy. On the uh, the flip side is I love CM Punk, but Phil Brooks is kind of a son of a bitch. Isn't that funny that we can we can like we can we can divide the two entities like the. The, the Terry Bollea and Hulk Hogan are two different people, the aspect. It's kind of how I feel about Vin Diesel. I never liked a single movie he ever did. But I, he seems like a nice guy, though, so I like Vin Diesel. <laughs> Vin Diesel does seem kind of like a nice guy. Also, he is grouped. Um, 
and for some reason they decide to pay him any amount of money to say one line uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, he didn't just show up and they go, all right, all right, Vin, start. I am Groot. All right, that's it. Thanks, Vin. Appreciate it. We got everything we need. He has to do different. He has to have little different emotes to it and different feelings. No, and... he, no, no. Actually, he only recorded it one time, and then they. Oh, uh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> they just adjust the levels. Yes. Yeah, it, it doesn't work that way, Darren. One recorded line. Okay. There's a sad button. There's a happy button. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, in closing, on the CM Punk matter, this is only day two of the uh, the trial. Uh, of CM Punk and Colt Cabana uh, in the libel trial against the WWE doctor, Chris Amon. And so there's not a whole lot to report about it yet. Um, of course, it was a podcast very much like this one, the Art of Wrestling podcast hosted by Colt Cabana. Which, which is a, is a, it is a fine podcast. He, he gave us a shout out once, so I, I appreciate Colt Cabana. He did. We 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 gotta we gotta love that moment that we got to uh, share a stage with Colt Cabana and the Art of Wrestling. Nice and guy. And have him be so kind as to shout us out. And we don't want any libel trials. We don't want any <laughs> any any. <laughs> First of all, we wouldn't do anything to gain them unless you're Steve Cutler or No Way Jose. <laughs> <laughs> then you might have a case. But anyway, um. WWE as a whole, Vince McMahon, Chris Amon, CM Punk, Cole Cabana, none of them have a case against us because we are the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. There is no fear of libel. There is no fear of slander. Hey, we just calls it like we sees it, and that is right down the middle. It's what a couple of guys that are the host the whole reference show are going to do. But anyway, I'm sure tons and tons of news is going to pour out of this uh, this trial. I know there's already all sorts of unsavory stuff that's coming out about apparently a, uh, a text, a group text known as NXT Wannabes, um, which involves Chris Jericho, Zack Ryder, Dolph Ziggler, and CM Punk. And they all talk to each other on this group called NXT Wannabes. And then, of course, uh, the doctor who is charging cabana and punk with libel has to go on the record and just like bit by bit like painstakingly go through admitting how fake wrestling is and just anytime that stuff goes down as a matter of court record the the ghosts of kayfabe past just absolutely spin in their graves Oh, absolutely. Ar- Arn Anderson hears that stuff, and he wishes he were dead so he could turn in his grave <laughs> at the very thought of it, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that's probably really the only juiciness that's going to come out of it is a bunch of unfortunate exposés of the business. And in the end, nothing that Amon or Punk did or didn't do will amount to a hill of beans. Charges will probably be minimal or inconsequential. And it'll go away, and yet everybody will remember that wrestling is fake. Right. It'll be uh, Exhibit A, wrestling is fake bullshit. Uh, exi- <laughs> so, and, and that's the only exhibit. That, that's it. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's fun to watch, though. We have some laughs. 
Well, we'll have more on that uh, if anything interesting happens. Uh, we we time will tell. Time will tell on that. But uh, as I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, we do have a guest on today's show, and he is a former writer for Supernatural. He is a fan of wrestling. He's a, a, a someone we know quite well, maybe too well. We might have to forget things about him because we know him so well. Uh, so let's talk to let's talk to our good friend John Bring. Dear listeners, welcome to a fantastic conversation with the whole Reffin show and our special guest today, John Bring. Welcome to the show, John. Hiya, Darren. Hiya, Perry. Hey, you, John. Our dear listeners, let me tell you a little bit about who is sitting here with us today. He is a Hollywood writer. He is a former writer for the CW hit television show Supernatural. He is an artist and writer of his own comic book series, Penguins vs. Possums. He is Perry's blood relative, first cousin, and has been my best friend since the fourth grade. I think these last two uh, descriptors are the most important ones, right? I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you two are so enthused. And uh, But I am, I am very excited to finally have John on the show. As Perry said at the top of the show, this has been a long time coming. We are very excited to have John here. It is sort of that uh, familiarity, which actually... Uh, sort of led to it taking this long because it's sort of like, yeah, we could have John on the show anytime, which means you just kind of push it away as you plan for the, the hard to get. But all the while, as we wasted time until having John on the show, he was making his star ever brighter. That's true. And, and some, some would say we were taking John for granted because, uh, because it was like, we could have John on the show anytime. But then when we needed him, which is now, John answered the call. We literally called him an hour or so ago and said, hey, we need you on the show today because there's nothing else to talk about. Uh, <laughs> which is a, a fun little surprise. Uh, Darren and I, being uh, bi-coastal buddies, uh, tend to find each other at inopportune times to call each other. Mostly if I'm eating, Darren will call me, or if Darren's eating, I will call him. And we, so we miss each other a lot. And sure enough, I was at the dinner table with my wife and we were out to eat at the, the, you know, the Burbank hotspot, uh, <laughs> Outback Steakhouse. And, uh, <laughs> oh man, you mean that little, uh, that little hard, hard to find yep. hideaway, the mom and pop Outback? <laughs> yep. That little, uh, that little, you know, diamond in the rough hidden gem, uh, the Outback. Uh, yeah, and Darren uh, texted me, and so here I am. But I, back to what you guys were saying, I've been begging to be on this show basically since day one. And I know that you guys have always wanted me on the show, and I've always wanted to be on the show, but certainly when you guys started getting all of your other guests, it's kind of hard to match up with Effie or Leva Bates or any, really any of the other guests that, have, that you guys have had on. I, at this point, I had just kind of written myself off because I thought – what do I have to add that, that is anything that could even come close to what those guys have said? Well, the reality is you actually do have a lot to tell. I mean, uh, even the stuff that we're going to talk about that is from your childhood, our shared childhood as relatives and as friends, uh, we kind of grew up together and wrestling was a big part of that. That is an interesting enough story, 
regardless of if you are a current or former world champion. Um, you know, and not to mention uh, the, some of the, your, your professional exploits, uh, including uh, your, your work on Supernatural. Right. No, it, uh, exactly. I've, I've, I've wanted you on the show before we got, like, you know, wrestle, like actually started having wrestlers on the show. It was kind of like, uh, well, until we get some wrestlers on the show, let's get, you know, some of our friends on the show who've been fans of wrestling for such a long time. That's interesting. Because I think every wrestling fan who's ever, like, gone to a show or lives in, like, a popular area, they have some sort of, like, encounter with wrestling or a wrestler. And it's always a unique experience to talk about. You've had some of those as well. But also, the Supernatural episode with The Miz... I'm sure a lot of our fans have watched that, and I'm sure they want to kind of hear about some of the insights on it. I mean, Darren and I have heard all this stuff before, but it's it's interesting as hell, so we'd love to talk about Great. that as well. Can't wait to talk about it. Awesome. Well, I guess we'll do that then. All right, let's jump yeah. right in. But, 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 let's, but let's, before we get there, because that's going to be, I mean, that's going to be some real, uh, that's going to be a real spicy meatball. Um, but let, let's start off with some, some homegrown, good old, down-home, South Georgia meat and potatoes, Let's go back to the very beginning. Uh, you two, you two, your mothers, your sisters, your first cousins, blood kin. Mm-hmm. Sure, we sure are. I, uh, we were both born in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, Perry and I, uh, we would hang out during summers together when he was very young. Uh, sometimes he and his sister would come with us to Disney World on little road trips. So even though we're only, I mean, I say only cousins, like... I've always thought of you. Hey. Always, no, no, no. I've always thought of you as more of a brother. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so we've always been close ever since we were born, and I'm very close with the sister as well. And um, we're, you know, I don't have a ton of cousins, so, and you, you're, you're one of the two that actually count. Uh, don't tell the rest <laughs> of my cousins. Um, so yeah, we've always been close, and um, we've shared a whole lot together. We've lived together. We've uh, worked together. We've, what else? What all have we done together? Watched a lot of uh, pay-per-views. Hell together. of a lot of wrestling together. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, no, we, we've we've done a lot, and uh, and we've we've been able to stay in touch, uh, obviously, because we both made the decision to move cross country to live in Los Angeles to try to you know get get a get a job in the wacky world of uh, entertainment. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. It's going very well for you, by the way. Very proud of all your. Your progress. Hey, thanks. And uh, I don't tell you that enough, so I thought Aww. I'd tell you right now in front of all the dear listeners. Oh, thanks. Aww. Where it really counts. It, it really counts. By the way, it's very interesting here, folks, because typically Darren and I interview someone. It's either a three-way Skype conversation or Darren and I are together Skyping with someone or rarely the three people being interviewed are all in the same room together. This is bizarre because Darren is Skyping with me and John so it's almost like John and I are conducting the interview with Darren. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's very interesting. So and there's always something new on this show, it's folks. It's crazy. We're keeping. Well, I will say, I will say, Darren Beasley makes one hell of a podcast guest. So for any of you dear listeners he's, who want to have me on your podcast, he's available for bookings, folks. That's right. If you want him on your podcast about modesty, <laughs> you just uh, you can email him at thewholereffenshow at gmail.com. That's T A G W H O L E R E F N S H O W at gmail.com or wow. So I'm a, I'm wow. obviously a, I've been a big fan of this podcast. Wow, uh, since John, day one. you are a hashtag dear listener and a hashtag friend of the I show. I might be, I may be the first hashtag dear listener because I remember I think uh, 
one or both of you sent me the the first episode to kind of get some opinions on it. Probably both of us. Pretty early on, and uh, <laughs> and I was I was entranced from the first minutes of you guys talking. Aww. And really, uh, this is a dream a dream come true because all I wanted to do from that first podcast was just jump in there and and uh, you know mix it up with you guys. So this is fun. We're, nice. we're having a good time. Well, good that's time. awesome. Now, so obviously, John, you and Perry have known each other your entire lives. You and I meet each other in the fourth. Actually. Actually, we meet each other in the third grade. <laughs> where, uh, so... where, dear listeners, you should know that uh, I defeated Darren <laughs> and <laughs> without studying at all in uh, a third grade spelling bee. Yes! I was third place, so I got the, the trophy. Darren was fourth place and yeah, uh, so got John, no trophy. Yeah, so you got a baby shit trophy, but guess what? I got no trophy. You got no trophy, son. Uh, I love the guys competed like tooth and nail for third place. By the way, <laughs> I got that coveted third place. Um, by the way, well, there, was, there was no defeating Aaron Macheski, Preston, or Nisha Shaw. Dude, they were those guys were beasts of the, of the spelling bee world. They were they were champions. They deserved everything that they got. Who won that one? Was it Aaron or was it Nisha? Oh, it was Aaron Macheski. Preston. Aaron, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> um, that dude, yeah. If anybody knows him. Just ask him to spell anything, and he will get it to this day. A N Y T H I N G. I bet he could spell the whole ref and show at gmail.com even. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I could. So, you know, I don't even know how aware you were of me that year, but I was I was dreadfully aware of you. Not only because you defeated me in the spelling bee, but because of some particularly defeated. nasty antics with you and another kid at the practice sessions yeah. for that spelling bee. So fast forward to a year later, um, you and I get in trouble in a fourth grade classroom, and we're told to go stand outside in the hallway <laughs> as our punishment. Um, uh, you're leaving out the, the, the minor detail that not only did we get in trouble, it was day one within five minutes of starting the fourth grade. I, being the usual uh, terrible student that I am and was, I was looking in the back of a, an English textbook and saw a picture of a book that said Busy Bugs, and I turned to Darren, who I, I honestly to God probably did not remember, remember you from the spelling bee at all, or else why would I have turned to my heated rival, um, who I had it's just true. barely eked out a victory over not a few months prior. But I turned to Darren and I said, Busy Bugs, pass it on. And because, you know, we were sort of honor bound during that time in the fourth grade to pass it on. So he turned. Of course, to, you have to pass it on. Uh, what was her name? Lindsay something. Uh, Lindsay Conaway. Lindsay Conaway. He he passed it on to her, and she passed it right on to Mrs. Rackley, our teacher. We had to write our names on the board and go outside within again within five to ten minutes of the fourth grade. Now writing your name on the board that was pretty shameful. But what the hell, teacher thought it was punishment to go stand in the hallway. All that meant was you and I went in the hallway. And in a scene straight out of Step Brothers, we looked at one another and we might have been mortal enemies before we went into the hallway, <laughs> but immediately upon stepping foot into that hallway with no adult supervision around, we looked at one another and we're like, best friends forever? <laughs> yep. Yep. Do you want to do uh, everything together from now on? Yep. <laughs> and we sure did. So that was... Uh, Whoa, that was a long time ago. I'll just suffice it to say that's been decades. It's been a minute. That's that's kind of scary. Uh, we definitely have been up, down, and around the bend uh, 
as friends uh, for for all of the ensuing decades. Um, we uh, I, I always I always described it as we were never satisfied with our entertainment. We always had to create our own. We sure did. I think uh, around eleven or so, we started making our own movies. We started. Uh, we made our own comic books, uh, TV shows, radio dramas. We wrote songs together. Uh, Perry was a part of a lot of this, uh, most of it really, uh, which would ultimately lead, I think, both of us, and for a short time also Darren, to coming out here to Hollywood uh, to make something of ourselves because, yeah, we, we always had that drive, that creative drive, which obviously you know made you guys make this podcast as well, so... Oh, exactly, exactly. I, I loved wrestling podcasts when they came on my radar several years ago, and I, in true us fashion, said, "I got to do my own podcast." Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want to just listen to podcasts. People need to hear my voice. Right. <laughs> so, John, when we meet you and I in the fourth grade, this is nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety, right? There about so. Yeah. I, I, at this point, had been watching wrestling for about two years. Right around the time of WrestleMania three is when I first started getting into wrestling. And other than um, Patrick Teasley, another friend of mine, having a wrestling-themed birthday party where a mole got scratched off of Brian Felkel's back and he bled everywhere. Jesus. Um, other than that... Other than other than Brian Felkel getting color at Patrick Teasley's eighth <laughs> birthday party, yes. I I didn't have a lot of wrestling friends. Wrestling was something that I did with the WWF on Saturday mornings and with WCW on Saturday nights. And you and I, at least for those first several years of friendship, wrestling wasn't a part of our friendship. Yeah. So where did wrestling come into your life before, during that time, or after? Well, that's the thing is um, uh, there's a reason that it didn't come into our lives for those years is because although I was aware of it as any child of the 80s was aware of Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Andre the Giant, I knew all these people, who they were. Uh, I thought Jake the Snake was cool. And I think I saw like movies with Hogan in them. I know I watched uh, No Holds Barred and Suburban Commando. Uh, and I would see commercials and stuff. And I don't know uh, if Macho Man had started doing the Slim Jim commercials yet. But uh, so I was very aware of wrestling. Oh, and the Million Dollar Man. I knew him as well. But uh, like the majority of my real like one-on-one -on -one connection with wrestling was through like Nintendo games and stuff. Like I had the WrestleMania video game. Uh, later on, I would have the uh, a game that Perry and I would play quite often, the uh, Royal Rumble game for Super Nintendo. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and that's where I started to hear names that I didn't know, which was like the Bret Hart's, the Razor Ramon, uh, people like that. Um, so it wasn't until, honestly, my teenage years, uh, a day that will live in my memory forever, that you actually introduced me properly to wrestling for the first time. And, uh, and, <laughs> and suffice it to say, my life was never the same again. Yeah, I mean, growing up as a, a kid in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, I mean, wrestling was so integrated in, like, products. Like, if you watched G.I. Joe, you know, on, on you know, Saturday morning cartoons, you saw Sergeant Slaughter oh, yeah, for sure. as a character in G.I. Joe. And, and the toys were everywhere, and the, the videos were everywhere. The new wrestling buddies, a new WWE figure! I wasn't sure I had one of the Hulk Hogan buddies, but it was just like, yeah. Hulk Hogan might as well have been Spider-Man or Batman to and, me. And I, I've argued this in the show many times, but there was a, there was a point where Hulk Hogan was bigger than wrestling. 
So everyone knew who Hulk Hogan was, and he he just kind of showed up in things like Gremlins 2, oh, yeah. the new batch and stuff like that. Which is superior to the original. Even if you didn't watch wrestling, you were very aware of it. Uh, nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are we gonna let are we gonna let John get away with that? <laughs> yeah, you are, because it's the truth. Hey, man, everyone's got their own opinion. But um, so I mean, so yeah, so even if you weren't a fan of wrestling, you you were aware of it. And if you're a kid, and and we we all grew up loving comic books, like wrestling and comics go hand in hand because it's characters fighting for you know different reasons, and, and there's good and there's evil, and, yeah. and that all makes sense to me. So. Uh, so yeah, so we, there was that as yeah. going on as well. My mom didn't care for it. My dad always thought it was stupid. <laughs> so I just didn't have any exposure to it. I didn't honestly watch a lot of television anyway as a kid, uh, which is ironic. Now that I'm a TV writer, it's all I can, all I ever do. But uh, I guess I had to make up for lost time. So, but uh, but it was the day. It was a summer day. Uh, Darren played football in high school, and uh, so there was like that. Period, and, and uh, that he would just be over at my house every day. We'd be making movies. And then there was the awful time where Darren had to go to football camp for a week. Or was it two weeks? And then you got like a weekend in between, right? Yeah, the uh, yeah, there were three weeks of pre-camp and right. then two weeks of camp. Ugh, so terrible. The la- so basically half the summer I would have to like leave like, – for the three weeks of pre-camp, I could come hang out, but I had to leave by four o'clock. Right. They they had to pull us apart, like <laughs> like the two nerds and uh, go ahead and make the reference. Wait, wait which just one of the guys? Oh yeah, just one of the guys. Uh, <laughs> where they had to pull them apart, and like they can't be out of the same room. Um, uh, yeah. So Darren and I, uh, so I had spent the week just like bored out of my mind. Uh, and Darren came over. It was really, really early because I've never been a until my adult years. I was never an early riser, but because of uh, time was of the essence, I guess. So Darren was at my house at like eight a.m. And I feel like later in that day we made a Mortal Kombat movie. But like, the, <laughs> but first thing was first. He came bearing a VHS tape because that's when this was. Uh, and he was like, "John, you gotta watch this." I was like, "All right, whatever." He put the tape in, and it's WCW. Uh, and if you guys know, you know, anything about the mid nineties, you probably have an idea of what is about to happen. Uh, but he's showing me the video. I can't remember. Is it Arn Anderson's in the ring? Who was in the ring when, you know, the tape I had was, was Hall's first appearance. Oh, was that what I thought it was both of them? Well, you were, you were breathlessly telling me about, I think it was actually, I think it was actually when Hall and Nash both first appeared because you had breathlessly told me about this guy. Razor Ramon coming out on WCW and he had a baseball bat and he beat up Ric Flair or Arn Anderson. And I'm like, I kind of know Razor Ramon from my WWF game on the Super Nintendo, but that's it. I don't, I didn't know anything about him, but then he showed it to me and it was very different from what I sort of knew of wrestling, which was, you know, the basically WrestleMania three was my, what I thought all wrestling was at that point. It was very bright, very cartoony. It was, you know, it's WCW. So it's smaller arenas, smoky, dark, gritty as hell, and these two guys, uh, these two, like, big dudes come out and just beat the shit out of everyone in the ring, and, like, Darren just marked out at the cops all coming into the ring, and, like, oh, those guys had to be arrested. I mean, I don't know if you totally bought it, or but you mostly bought it at the oh, time. No, I, hey, it, it, was, it was still real to me, damn it. Right. <laughs> so, and for me, I was like, okay, this is cool. I kind of like this. And then not long after that, 
you somehow convinced my parents and me to spend thirty or forty dollars on Bash of the Beach. What was that? Ninety five. Ninety six. Ninety six. Bash of the Beach. Ninety six. And uh, I'll never forget when Hulk Hogan dropped a leg drop on Macho Man, and you know said the fans could stick it or what. However that went, and I was just like, what? Like I didn't really care about about wrestling, but I knew like Hulk Hogan equals the good guy. And, uh, you know, they built up who that third man was going to be the whole match and then turns out to be Hogan. And I got to say, I was hooked. It's funny because everyone, it's like, where were you when Kennedy was shot? Where were you when Hulk Hogan <laughs> yeah. dropped the leg? We are of the generation where, oh, yeah, my God. have that question. That was such a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, sorry, just to conclude, after that, uh, my exposure to wrestling was as much as I could, as much as I could take in, I would. Uh, every, mostly WCW, but. Well, I mean, at this point, this is where, like, the internet's becoming bigger. And, like, you, we're growing up, so we actually have money. And we have, like, vehicles. So we actually have, you know, means to go out and get old tapes and stuff like that. And, oh, yeah. You know, and pump our veins which is much with as much wrestling as possible. You know, we have, obviously, all the TV that's going on right now. You have Nitro. You have Raw. You have SmackDown. You have Thunder. You have Heat. You have, like, two pay-per-views. Like, ECW, maybe. You have like at least two pay per views a month, so like wrestling, wrestling, which I can't imagine watching that much wrestling now. That just sounds so exhausting. But when you're a teenager, and you've got nothing but free time, and it's all new, exactly. Um, And you love, you know, ninety percent of the product. Then, like, how how could you go wrong? So yeah, there, we we I consumed every bit, every shred that I could get my hands on, and. Man, we uh, Darren and I went to a local video store and wore out the tape for Royal Rumble '92. <laughs> oh my God, we wore we wore out Royal Rumble '92 and WrestleMania three. Yeah, we must have watched WrestleMania three. I mean, I have <laughs> I've only ever seen one match involving Sky Low Low and Little Beaver. But I've seen that match a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen King Kong Bundy almost kill those poor little men uh, a thousand times. But, uh, Perry, you're talking about having money and having vehicles. And we took advantage of that for in, in many, many ways, like teenagers do. But pro wrestling was such a centerpiece of that. I mean, John, you and I would skip school. And go hang out at Steve Ekstrom's house just to watch ECW tapes. Oh, man. When ECW came out, that was my shit. That changed my opinion of wrestling forever. And that's like the, like, you know, chasing the dragon. Like, I am always chasing the dragon of ECW. NXT gets close-ish to it in terms of in-ring talent and in-ring matches. But, like, nothing will ever, again, that grit and, like, that, like, you know, gritty urban realism is my, mine and Darren's shorthand term for for that sort of thing. But, but I also that, that, that was, I mean, very quickly, that was also the era. Like you can't like that that scuzzy, low budget nineties oh, yeah. like RoboCop budget yes. wrestling. Like, does that make any sense? <laughs> oh hell yeah! Okay, yeah, yeah. I know, and and that's the thing is like even watching the new Arrested Development episodes, I'm like, it's just too like bright and clean. Yeah, it's just HD has changed everything. And some yeah, what's uh, what's with <laughs> Will Arnett's Lucille's eyebrows. Who's Lucille? Lucille's. You know, I haven't What's noticed it, but eyebrows. Last last season, the the crappy the crappiest season, uh, Lindsay's eyebrows were really like way too blonde, and it looked weird. Oh my god! Well, Portia de Rossi or Portia DeGeneres. Yeah. Uh, she uh, she still doesn't pronounce 
the word anything with a good American accent. She still says anything. Is she not American? I didn't know that. No, she's Australian. Oh, okay. I actually had no idea. I just thought I she had, was American. Yeah, no idea. I've oh, never seen her in anything oh, well, besides. I'm sorry. I'm Portia de Rossi's biographer. <laughs> oh, little did we know. You're a busy guy. No, uh, she does a very good American accent, but why? But she says anything, and it's like, what? That's yeah, not but they all like. I like that she has this like affected sort of voice anyway. Anyway, we could talk about arrest. We should talk about arrest <laughs> development not on the air. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of TV shows, get us back on the tracks. So, uh, so I mean, obviously, uh, we're we're all huge fans of wrestling at this point. We're watching all the TV, all the pay per views. The Attitude Era is going on. You know, the the best of WCW, arguably, but accurately. Uh, the the NWO era of, of WCW is, is going on. Um, we all love wrestling so much, but all quickly realize that you have to get in a really good shape to become wrestlers. Um, so we decide that's probably not a career path. So we got to find out something else we want to do, right? So yeah. we're now in the early two thousands. You know, we're we're graduating high school. You know, middle college, whatever. Um, John, you decide to, uh, to to go for filmmaking in the college, correct? I did, I did. That is not to say that I did not once consider dropping out of college to become a professional wrestler. <laughs> but at... I will do that right now, John. <laughs> I, I will do that tomorrow. Yeah, I know. I would. I totally would too. But at five foot nine and a smidge, I was too short to do it. And I realized at my height, I would have to be like a Rey Mysterio and like jump off the top rope. And be fast, but I'm very sluggish individual. Right. And <laughs> I am a, a I am a saunterer. I'm not a fast man. And then also I am a chicken shit when it comes to heights. So that was just not going to happen. So no I decided, shame. you know what? No shame. Um, that's not to say that I haven't had harbored a dream to write for WWE uh, most of my life. And you know, who knows? Maybe that'll happen one day down the road. I'm not going to say I haven't applied for it before. Uh, but I think I was too much of a I think I was too much of a mark in my because they make you write an essay about why you would want to work for WWE. Yeah, they, they, they don't want to get to that. But yeah, yeah, they don't want actual fans. They I don't want fans of wrestling. I should have been like, yeah, this is all fake bullshit, and I think it'll be an easy way to make money. Uh, <laughs> hired. Yeah, exactly. That would have been it. But I was like, oh, it's it's a great way of storytelling, and uh, it's a great American art form, and blah blah. Like I just like pontificated about it and a little bit too much, and uh, shockingly, they did not respond. <laughs> Far too earnest. Uh, yeah, far too yeah, and reverent for the the sport or the whatever you want to call it uh, of professional wrestling. But yeah, but yes. far too earnest, and there was never an earnest goes to WWE movie. <laughs> no, there wasn't. I bet there would be though uh, <laughs> if Jim Varney was still alive. Uh, so yes, I <laughs> R.I.P. Jim Varney. R.I.P. Jim Varney. Uh, but yes, I got into filmmaking uh, late into my college career. I spent a long time in college. I kind of ran the gamut of uh, the fine arts department. I was a, uh, a theater major to start. Uh, at one point, Darren and I were art majors. Uh, but when that was too hard, we quit. Uh, I think I was a communications major for a short time. And then I finally landed on like TV and film. Uh, and by, by God, I got the most out of that program. It was sort of a program more intended for broadcast. Um, but I saw a camera. I saw sound equipment. And I said, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to go make some movies. So, Well, the whole thing about that is I mean, it, it ties into the childhood stuff we were talking about earlier, how we would make movies like, like John would get a, a, a camera 
um, he, he'd, ha- he'd always have like a camera, so yeah. we started making our own movies at, uh, at my, John's place. Yeah, my folks own a pawn shop, so like there was always, every time I broke a camera, and we must have gone through 20, uh, <laughs> every time I broke one, they'd just bring a new one the next day. What do you mean you can't immerse, a, <laughs> you can't, you can't put, okay. a, a, you can't put a video camera in a baggie and put it underwater for underwater scenes when you're making a, a remake of Waterworld. Yes. Well, which, which, which. You both With have seen. Works. You you both have just seen Waterworld. I've never seen it before. That, that is untrue. I had not seen it. Uh, <laughs> only only Darren. Only Darren. described it. And this is coming off of an all pulling an all nighter. <laughs> the three of us. We had already made our own remake of Forrest Gump, which took place entirely in one room. By the way, uh, where I played several versions of Lieutenant Dan, but also Darren played Lieutenant Dan at one point, and uh, <laughs> both you and Darren played. Forest, and I'm pretty sure you played Jenny. I played Jenny and Bubba. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> we were. Which, which, we were I'm, so, I'm so versatile now. I can yeah. really, I can play anything. Yeah. And we were just riding high from that, and then as soon as he, literally as soon as the sun came up, we went to my backyard and went to my pool. And so we have about five or so minutes of a movie before we get into the water. And the instant that we dropped, the, we were like, "Yeah, let's put it into a Ziploc bag. We'll we'll seal it." So it'll be fine, and the instant it got into the water, the video pooped out, and that was that. Well, was it, was that our fault, or was it the fault of the the, the bag company that did not I know make we, sh- we should have product? Yeah, they, that, that was good enough. That was before they had like the double seal technology. Mm-hmm. I bet now would be fine. Oh yeah, yeah. Not, well now now like cameras are indestructible. Yeah, seriously, we'd have a GoPro and just I don't know, nah. we'd run over it and it'd be fine. Uh, but anyhow, we, we definitely yeah. for for all of our uh, for all of our artistic endeavors we were born about 10 to 15 years too early for sure oh my god absolutely Absolutely. yeah we'd be we'd be youtube sensations by now i know in all seriousness we we would have as teenagers and as the audience of the dear listeners are like is this still a wrestling podcast or is this three guys (laughs) talking about their youth Oh, I, I think I think some of our some of our listeners have told us before in person sometimes it's about wrestling sometimes it isn't (laughs) <laughs> that, that's true. Like, that, 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 to quote, to quote some of our dear listeners, that is exactly. <laughs> hey, they keep coming back. So we hope you're we hope you're listening right now. Yes, thanks, guys. And as the ogest of dear listeners myself, every time you guys do go off in a digression, I'm like, <laughs> I get it. Because basically every story that you guys tell, I was either there for or I have heard a million times. Right. So uh, I love it. Just so all you dear listeners know. Um, it's it's pretty great. Everything it's, they talk about it is it is good stuff. It's, <laughs> I must say it's pretty good stuff. Speaking of storytelling, uh, so you're you're you actually became a pretty big wig uh, as far as like mass media majors go at the college. I mean, I think you you won a couple of awards and like your your movies to this day I think still show up <laughs> on the college channel. Yes, yes. <laughs> if I got if I got paid residuals for that, I'd be I wouldn't say rich, but. I'd be able to buy myself a cheeseburger every now and again. Hey, man. Uh, but, uh, no, yeah, I I made several movies with you guys um, and other students. And, yeah, I um, I mean, I'm not trying to say that I was, like, better than anybody. But, you know, I think that I just took it really, really seriously. And um, some of the product was a cut above what your average person who, again, these people are going to become broadcasters. So... You know, they're not there to make narrative films, and I was kind of the sole person, with the exception of a couple of uh, close friends. One of them uh, won the Royal Rumble uh, contest this year, Ryan Pate. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ryan Pate, good friend. Last year. Uh, 
or last year. Anyhow, um, he was another guy that uh, that did a lot of movies and stuff with me, and he was really into it. But but yeah, we um, we we did a lot of stuff together, the three of us. And yeah, they still show that stuff to this day. I was you know anytime there was like a film festival that my college put on, I tend to I tended to win. Um, but that again, not to, <laughs> this sounds like I'm super in, like, into hey, myself. Hey, he's, he's speaking the truth. But like the other, there were a couple of years ago where they were like, oh, we're going to do another film festival. Do you want to be a judge? And I was like, hell yeah, I want to be a judge. They had like two entries. So that's the, that was not a huge playing field, uh, to, to rise above. So anyhow, um, but we had fun. We had a lot of good times and there was definitely some wrestling theme stuff. Every time we got a chance to pretend to fight on film, uh, we we call back to all of our wrestling knowledge and and put it to good use. I think. Oh yeah. Oh, that's for sure. Uh, well, I, I mean, fight choreography. We were we were very adept at fight choreography in these student films because of watching wrestling and doing a little bit of our own wrestling. Yeah. Um, so when it came time to you know choreograph some fight scenes in a movie, they looked especially good. Maybe maybe the humor wasn't sharp and fast. Maybe the drama wasn't Oscar worthy, but the fight scenes in those movies. Well, now those that, pu- those punches look good, and yeah, they it did. came from uh, to, our our yeah. years of uh, doing wrestling, some our our own wrestling together, which all yeah, started by to, the way. We knew how to throw a work punch. We sure did. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. so obviously, with with all the knowledge you gained in in uh, college and all the all the work experience putting together your own projects and stuff uh you make the move out to los angeles and and so so tell us about uh tell us about the la experience uh it started out uh you know a lot about it because i, I know i know a lot about <laughs> it <laughs> well yeah just to let everyone know like we shared an apartment darren moved out with me uh perry had moved out here six months before we did and lived in an apartment in koreatown and uh, when, we, when we arrived with another friend, Matt Ducati, uh, who was also a huge wrestling fan and into all this stuff with us, uh, we moved into a two-bedroom apartment in Van Nuys, California. And uh, Perry and I shared a room. Sure. And I'm a weird sleeper. Weird so sleeper. he had a, I talk a lot in my sleep and I sleepwalk, so they had some interesting stories for another time. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, we basically hit the ground running. Uh, Darren and I especially, we went and signed up for a, a local casting agency which is actually right around the corner from where you live here, uh, called Central Casting. And I think the day we signed up, we did our first gig, which was a late-night shoot for the show Close to Home. I think that was the name the of it. The day you signed up? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe because... Yeah, because yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close to Home, because I was already on set. Because I would signed up with them uh, previously, like a month or two before. Oh, yeah. And I, I actually had a uh, what's known as a call-in service. They actually find you extra work. And I was there, and I got a text from either you or Darren saying, hey, we're coming to do it too. And it was like a miserable 16-hour shoot, and it rained. Yeah, it was terrible. And it was, it's what is known as a cattle call, which means there's like hundreds of extras there. And this is, this, is, this is Darren and John's first experience on a set. I've done a few, so I'm like cool and like whatever about the whole thing. And I remember like I was super broke and had no money, so obviously they feed you on these sets. And I, I ate, like, all this food. They feed you well. There was a lot of sitting around when I got there. And I ate all this, like, sugary food. And I had, like, the worst, like, like bubble guts. Like, all yeah. night, like, my... It just killed my stomach. And there's some pretty funny stories about me and Darren. Uh, 
<laughs> about me and Darren sneaking off of set so he can come like assist me and like keep watch while I go use like a, a restroom I shouldn't yes. use. That was good stuff. But yeah, yeah, I forgot I, that was I, your first that was, I, I'm, that, sorry, that was actually... I'm sorry. I, I'm not gonna let it go at that. <laughs> I can't let it go at just that. You put me in a terrible, terrible position, <laughs> Okay. I had just moved three thousand miles away from home. I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground. I didn't know anything about Hollywood. I was simply doing whatever Hollywood was telling me to do. <laughs> Sign on this line, show up at this place at this time. I don't want to do anything wrong. I don't want to jeopardize anything. And yet, you, who are cool as a cucumber because you've already been an extra a couple of times, have no fear about these assistant to the assistant to the assistant director right. calling at us over their Jimmy Hart bullhorns. Instead, you put me as the guard at the portalette. <laughs> the the, the honey, wagon, honey wagons, yes. As they're known. You're tearing my allegiance. I'm like, I do I leave him here or as he's begging me to do? Or do I go to set because they are desperately calling here's, us to here's set? Here's my question: What's going to happen? <laughs> They're not going to pull you off the toilet. You you don't know that. Like uh, like in the beginning, it was like if they find out, they're not going to be like you know that's Channing Tatum shitter. You can't go in there. Right, you know? right. Um, no, we uh, yeah, that was that was a, a fun first night. It was kind of actually reminiscent of that time in the hallway uh, in fourth grade where it was just like giggles. It was like <laughs> I can't believe. They're letting us do that. I can't believe we're making <laughs> yeah, money. There you go. And uh, can I just say, there was like, there had to have been two or three hundred extras out that night, which is bullshit because they barely were able to get like 50 for my Supernatural episode on an 11th season show. So, you know, I, times have changed, I guess, since then and budgets have gotten tighter. So there we were, the three of us. And here we are now, uh, many years later. And we're, we're all having this conversation. But that night, we were having conversations about how weird it was that we were all of a sudden on a television show. Uh, we were amazed at the free food, at the long waits, at the, uh, the honey wagons. And, uh, <laughs> but how did it go from there? Where, where did it progress from there, John? I mean, again, like Perry a second ago, I know the answer. To this. Right. Let's pretend for a second, though, that I don't. Well, funny enough, it was actually extra work. It was being on a set one day for CSI in New York that got me my first like work on a movie and your first work on a movie, funny enough. Uh, I met a camera op. She was, she was between films at the time, so she was doing the extra work just to make a little extra money on the side. And she said, hey, uh, I, I work on these like small independent movies. Um, do you uh, – and I told her like, oh, I want to be a director. Ugh. And she said, well, show up at this address, tell them what you want to be, and they'll give you a job. And we thought we had hit the jackpot. And in a way, we did. In terms of, like, life story, we absolutely did. So the, the company that she was referring to, of course, was The Asylum, who is best known now for Sharknados and their Mockbusters, which I feel like they've actually sort of transitioned out of. Uh, but back in the day, they were firmly making Mockbusters – pumping these things out every couple of months. Uh, they had a little office in Hollywood at the Crossroads of the World, a uh, little courtyard, and little tiny office. We wandered onto it in our, like, Sunday's best, 
and we got assigned. I said we sat down with a guy, Anthony Fankhauser, who was going to be the uh, line producer on a movie. He said, "What do you want to be?" To me, and I said, "I want to be a director." He's like, "Great, you're you're an AD, you're an assistant director." I was like, "Oh my god!" And to Darren, he was like, "Darren, what do you want to do?" He's like, "I want to be a producer." He's like, "Great, you're unit production manager." Uh, which is a very low producer role. And we, again, we thought we had, like, we there we are. So we've both been given these jobs, low as they happen to be, and we thought, oh, my God, we've made it. We've done it. We're going to be working on a movie. They gave us our jobs, and I think a, less than a week later, we were on set on Snakes on a Train. <laughs> yeah, the positions were lowly, but the amount of responsibility they loaded into our hands was absurd. Uh, absolutely, and and Darren, do you do you recall what our salary was for that movie? Uh, was it zero dollars? <laughs> I believe it was zero dollars. <laughs> I believe that I actually went, be, I overdrafted a couple of different times because I had to buy gas to get out to the 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 deep desert location of Snakes on a Train. Uh, but by God, it was worth it. Uh, we were, I mean, at the end of the day, I was the second AD. Darren was the unit production manager. Uh, Darren, you know, would have to go get lunch, go get coffees, pick people up and kind of just like, I guess be Anthony, the line producer's assistant, uh, essentially. And kind of I like, yes, that the... was, we did all sorts of stuff. Oh, we... oh no, I'm, I'm saying just what, what our base was. I oh, was, okay. a, I was an assistant director. So like my role was like breaking down the call sheet and making sure everyone gets where they need to go at certain times. But then also we were snake wranglers. Uh, we were transpo because we were driving people around all over the place. We were fight choreographers for a couple of scenes. Uh, I was a camera operator. I was a, not a camera operator, but a camera assistant for a bunch of stuff. Oh, man. It was just like one of those movies where you get to wear every hat, whether you want yeah, to or I not. Yeah, I remember one particular Oh, yeah, we were, we were in the movie. We both have cameos in the movie if you, oh, if yeah, you want to yeah. watch it. We're in, the mo- we're in the movie. Yeah, I have um, a credit on IMDb that says Passenger Snakes on a Train. <laughs> same, same here. I think I have the exact same credit. Uh, yeah, I remember one particular night after working for like 14 hours, going back to the offices in Hollywood and, gl- and hot gluing rope to jars in order to antique these jars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And, I mean, and then, of course, they put us entirely in charge of, of casting. Yeah, of casting. Cast- yeah, we had to do casting, and we had to be the ones to explain to these poor girls, like, there's a topless scene in this movie to these girls coming <laughs> off the street in Hollywood who like probably just right off the bus like we were. And they're like, what's the, what's the pay? And it's like a hundred bucks for the day. Only on the day that you show your boobs. Otherwise you either made $25 if you were not a main cast member, but if you were the star of the movie, you made 50 bucks a day. Uh, which is how, I mean, I probably shouldn't, I, you know, it was non-union, so who cares? But um, anyway, <laughs> so, you were saying about transpo. Let me just say, <laughs> there were two moments uh, that uh, that stand out uh, as far as me driving. One was when they sent me to, to the rental house. They sent me by myself to the. I, I guess they had you drive me there and drop me off. Yeah, because Darren rental house did not have a car. So I'm picking up a Mercedes Benz box truck, which is oh, a right. stick shift. And it's full of probably a million and a half dollars worth of equipment. It is 100% of the equipment for this film and the truck. And they put me in it. I can barely drive a five-speed. 
I certainly have never driven a five-speed box truck down the one-way streets of Hollywood (laughs) and then through fucking canyon country north of L.A. County, and I thought I was going to die about 20 different times. Now, that is the unfun experience of Transpo on Snakes on a Train. The fun one, of course, was when the bigwig producer, I think his name was uh, David Michael Latt. That is correct. Uh, he had maybe the sharpest Audi uh, that was made at that time. The dashboard lights inside were purple. Ooh. And I had to drive from Canyon Country, from the set, the train set, to the nearest town to buy some shit from Home Depot. And they just gave me his car. Yeah, they and put a I'm lot driving. of trust in a couple of kids from Georgia that didn't know shit from shit, you know? <laughs> I could have just driven away forever in that car. Yeah, <laughs> you should have. But yeah, I know. instead, I simply drove about 90 miles an hour through the mountains listening to Falco's Rock Me Amadeus <laughs> as loud as that Audi stereo system would play. Yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun... L.A. I, Nights. L.A. Nights. Yeah. So... <laughs> So that was uh, that was the thing that actually got me what would uh, be my first actual job that I got paid for in uh, in entertainment, which was a uh, production assistant job at Without a Trace, uh, the old CBS procedural show starting starring Anthony LaPaglia and Poppy Montgomery. Uh, I remember specifically the production coordinator uh, looked at my resume and was super impressed that I was a second AD on something, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. That was a real movie and everything, and I was—I think it had just come out or something like that. It and helped, though, right? It did. I mean, that's why I got the job, and um, I still didn't know shit about shit, but she gave me the job, and that's sort of what set me off on a rather long course uh, to where I am now, but, you know, I got there eventually. Uh, just jumping from job to job, from uh, a lot of assistant work. Uh, funny enough, there was a time where I decided that I wasn't going to be a writer, that I didn't want to write anymore, that I just wanted to focus on directing, uh, that did not go well. <laughs> that didn't last super long, and I kind of came back. Uh, and uh, to get onto Supernatural, I took a pay cut. I took a uh, I took a status cut, and um, went back to being a PA, which is a production assistant. Uh, so pretty much the lowliest role you can get on a show. Uh, but it was something new and something fresh, and I just needed a, a new opportunity, a new start. So I took it, and that's what kind of reinvigorated me creatively and kind of set me back on the path that I had sort of come out uh, to L.A. to pursue in the first place, which is writing and directing, but more specifically writing, obviously. So after a few years of working as a a PA on Supernatural, you eventually get your way into the writer's room of Supernatural as a a writer's assistant. Correct. But then they give you some actual writing duties as well. They give you an episode. And that takes us to season eleven, episode fifteen, Beyond the Mat. Oh yeah, natural. Oh yeah. The the quote unquote wrestling episode. The wrestling episode, uh, which I I'm so happy that that was my first like foray into writing for network television. That I can say that a professional wrestling episode was my first outing. So uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience and in try and actually getting it. Not even to the finish line, but to the starting line, where it's kind of a very uh, tough uphill battle. Because uh, you know, not to not to talk shit about my boss, but like most people in uh, Hollywood and in entertainment are a little bit snooty, 
And uh, my boss, Jeremy, was no exception. He didn't understand wrestling. He didn't know anything about it. So we had pitched him. Uh, I actually co-wrote the episode, just to throw this out here, with uh, Andrew Dabb, a really awesome writer. He's been on the show since season four. Uh, he's now running the show. Uh, so obviously he's, uh, he's a longtime writer and like the perfect person to write an episode with and the perfect person to have my first writing experience because it was such a great safety net to have. Uh, in case I did trip, um, which I certainly did a few times. But uh, so I was writing with Andrew and he sort of had me come up with ideas for the episode. Uh, he had done so many at this point, he didn't really, he was like, I'll let it be your baby. And the wrestling idea was one that I'd had for a while for uh, for, for Supernatural. And uh, we were not going to go with it. <clears throat> we sat down and we pitched everything to Jeremy and he said uh, we were going to go with a fast food themed episode where Sam and Dean have to get jobs at, as like fry cooks and you know as a guy uh, I forget exactly the plot line because that's so much more interesting <laughs> no I mean that's the thing uh, and then Jeremy was like okay I'm going to the first step of the process is you write an arena uh, which is um, just a, a short two page story document that uh, allows the studio network to know what's coming up and, and Jeremy was like, all right, get me an arena by Monday or whatever. And he just saw it on my face. He was like, so if we don't do wrestling, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill you, right? <laughs> and I said, well, I said, well kind of. And he's like, well, he's like, well, why? Why do you like it? And I was like, oh, boy. Sit back, buckle in, baby. <laughs> you probably need to send a link to this episode and say, this is why. Listen to yeah, this. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, but I just sat back and I told him in, a, in one of those, like, you'd think it was like a speech that I'd already, like, sat down and written. It was so, like, perfect and glorious. It was just saying, like, that, you know, describing the lives of these people and how, like, there's so much, you know, hardship and pain that they go through. It's not all the gloss that's in front of the camera. It's not just the silly fighting, but, they're, you know, their bodies are wrecked and they go through so much, like, psychological turmoil going through this it's such a hard life uh and i also was like and i personally had an experience which we haven't touched on yet where i did a very very tiny stint in a local wrestling federation uh exactly that lasted exactly one show but i told him about these guys i was like these guys are getting paid you know 20 bucks to go in front of 30 people and like tear their bodies apart and, you know, and that basically won Jeremy over and allowed, and he said, you know what, let's do wrestling. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because it's it's always hard to explain to non-wrestling fans why you like wrestling so much. I mean, it's 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 a lot easier just to be like, I don't know, I like it, I watched it since I was a kid. But, I mean, when, when you have to really kind of go in detail, it's like, it's it's, there's so many layers of wrestling. There's what you see on TV, what you know is happening backstage, what you know has happened in the past. With you know wrestlers and their lives and the, the company and the lawsuits and legal stuff and and the you know the, the 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 Fed wars the Monday Night Wars and all that stuff and I think since uh, since we've known about all the stuff for so long it, it's just the the knowing about what's going on backstage is just as interesting as what you see you know on television every every Monday or wherever. Um, and it's really hard to, to explain that to a non-wrestling fan. Yeah. So I, I tend to avoid the conversation. Just go like, Stone Cold Steve Austin's awesome. Stone Cold my boy. Stone Cold my boy. Well, it is hard to it is hard to describe to a non-fan uh, what it is to be a wrestling fan, especially at our escalated ages. Yeah. Um, and to, to have been a fan for our whole lives. 
But what you're saying is absolutely true because not only did we get the sweet spot of late 80s wrestling in our lives, but we got that ultra double plus sweet spot of the Monday Night Wars where we got Nitro versus Raw, where we got the NWO, we got the Attitude Era, and we got ECW. At the same time as we were watching all of that amazing shit on screen, we also got Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows, and we got your episode's namesake, John, Beyond the Mat. Yes. Now, it might, the, the documentary that was made and the documentary Wrestling with Shadows, those two documentaries I think you can point to, and you can also point to the gift that Darren Aronofsky gave us, The Wrestler, and if you're not going to explain what it is to a non-wrestling fan, what wrestling is, I think you could kind of use those documentaries and that film as a way to sell it to another writer, perhaps. Oh, yeah, and those were and precisely think, the three things that I sent to Jeremy uh, to as proof of concept of this being an interesting world to delve into and something, and yeah, something that deserved more exploration. Also, for well, fuck's sake, it's season 11. Running, running out of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's actually really cool to hear because it makes perfect sense. I mean, obviously, uh, great minds think alike, uh, as they say. And uh, I like to think that your episode continues that tradition of showing, you know, behind the curtain, beyond the mat, all puns intended. And uh, as to that there is a little bit more to simply what you see or what Vince McMahon wants the viewer to see that you can still watch wrestling and care about it as an adult, because there are so many layers. Yeah, very true. So tell us about uh, how your episode came together. And I, I, I know everyone wants to hear about the casting of the episode. Oh, for sure. So as I said, I was writing with Andrew Dabb, uh, like I said, a very seasoned writer. So he sort of like gave me the reins of everything and let me sort of break the story uh, primarily on my own um, while really having a, a good hand to guide me and kind of teach me a little bit more about the structure of, of Supernatural and from coming from somebody who had written at that point 25 episodes. So he just really knew it backwards and forwards. And uh, so I had most of the uh, creative license on the thing. And so I wanted to tell... A story more akin to the wrestler because that's obviously what I sold Jeremy on. But I wanted to tell you know those the the story of the little guy. I don't want to tell the story. One, our show can't afford to put on a WWE style thing, but it's the characters, the sort of tragic characters that I was drawn to. Uh, you know, Bret Hart is obviously uh, a huge inspiration for the episode. Not only is uh, Wrestling with Shadows like such an incredible movie to watch, and and he's such an incredible character in it, but everything that's happened to him after that movie, like, just the amount of tragedy that he's had to face is just almost too much. Um, so Bret Hart was kind of like my, uh, I guess, my idol uh, throughout the writing process and trying to figure out, like, what is uh, the character that I want to center Sam and Dean around, uh, which is a character called Gunnar Lawless. Um, he's sort of like a broken, broken down older wrestler. His heyday is long behind him, uh, way in the rear view, and uh, he's uh, he turns to a demon to um, to kind of get a taste of that glory again. We've all been there, folks. All been there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, it was uh, is that what they're is that what they're always talking about on the WWE documentaries when they were like, 
He had his personal demons. Yeah, I know. They were like <laughs> literal, they were literal, literally demons yeah. from hell that uh, gave them. I mean, The Rock must have made a deal with a demon because man, that guy looks good. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyhow, so yeah, I mean, it was a pretty easy process. I uh, for my pitch of the episode, I don't know if anybody watches the show, any of your dear listeners, but uh, probably get a kick out of this. Uh, so I'm obviously pitching. We all uh, once we figure out what our story is going to be, we write it on a whiteboard in a dry erase marker and we invite the showrunners in uh jeremy and another guy bob singer are the two showrunners invited them in to sit in the office and then i go through beat by beat what the story is sam and dean find out this way and and then they go to this thing and then they go to this uh about i don't know five minutes into it uh jensen ackles and jared padalecki the two stars of the show who live in vancouver and austin so they are never in the office pop their heads in and take a seat and say, no, go ahead, continue, please. Oh, nice. And cue oh, to me shitting a brick. Because I'm like, <laughs> uh, uh, it's a wrestling episode, guys. And Andrew, you know, tried, he handled it probably better than I did and said, don't worry, you're not going to wear leotards or anything. But um, they uh, luckily Jeremy had the good grace to uh, take them out of the room for a little bit. But man, that was a, uh, a harrowing couple of minutes when I thought I was about to have to <laughs> pitch an entire episode. It's not as if the pressure isn't already on. Cause I, you know, when you're first writing an episode, it's like everything I do, every decision I make is like my future hinges on this. But, uh, but once I did that, uh, then it was all kind of full steam ahead. I mean, supernatural is a well-oiled machine. So like we just were in it. And next thing I knew we were casting. I figured by season 11, the show probably kind of figured itself out and they know what it oh, takes sure. to, to get a season completed. Um, but I, I know, like, you, you mentioned that it was kind of roughly based on Bret Hart, uh, your, your idea, the, the, the main wrestler. Um, that makes the, the demon deal, if you will. Um, but so did you, did you try to get Bret Hart to actually be in? Because, like you said, it does film in Vancouver, or it films in Canada, Supernatural does. Was it kind of a natural idea to be like, oh, have Bret Hart in it? I absolutely pitched Bret Hart. Yes. He was my first choice. I said, look, this is a guy the character is based off of. Uh, Jeremy, understandably, was like, is he an actor? I said, no, other than... Well, you, you should have brought up... Well, he was on the Lonesome Dove TV series, <laughs> and, and he played Aladdin on stage. Oh, Jesus. Oh, wow. I would not want to watch that. Um, I would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I desperately tried to get Bret Hart in there to play Gunnar Lawless. Uh, but I think, I, I think Jeremy... Well, it's a CW, so you kind of have to skew a little bit younger with your casting. So honestly, the casting ended up a lot younger than maybe my vision of the the character because I was envisioning somebody a little bit more wizened and gray. But uh, the guy we got ended up playing him was great. So I'm not, I'm, I'm okay with it. But uh, in addition to Bret Hart, my second choice, because I'm a wrestling nerd and I wanted to shoot for the stars, was none other than Mr. Kevin Nash, uh, who we uh, courted for a while. Um, he was, uh, a little problematic though. Uh, we, I really, de- God, I desperately wanted him to be <laughs> in the show. Um, and he would have been great, I think, as, as Gunnar Lawless. But we, uh, we talked to his agents. Uh, he was in, I believe, Miami or Tampa. Does he live in Tampa? Is that where he was? Probably. Anyhow, somewhere in South Florida. But they all live in Florida. Yeah. I think he lives in Daytona. Okay, well, wherever he was. In South Florida, uh, he, uh... Wherever, Darren. Wherever in Florida it is. (laughs) 
I can see your face, you know. Uh, Daytona is not South Florida. I know Florida. it's in mid-Florida, okay? It's fine. Central Florida. South of Valdosta, Georgia. Yeah, South it's Florida. In, it's yeah. Florida. It's in Florida. Anyhow, he was uh, only wanting to do, uh, to tape. He was not willing to tape. He's not willing to read the lines in front of a camera so that we could evaluate his performance before uh, casting him. It was going to be offer only, which is uh, which was unfortunate because Jeremy, not really knowing uh, Kevin Nash's great work in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, <laughs> as a super shredder, or say, I don't know, John Wick wasn't even out, or, oh, as the, uh, the, the Russian yeah. in uh, The Punisher... Um, did that one have a subtitle? I don't think it did. No, I think it was just the Punisher. I think it was just the Punisher. Should have been called. Should have been called Sailboat and Away. <laughs> yes, because the the opening scene where the family gets killed, there's a guy trying to escape. Oh, the sailboat. yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, but anyhow, so seeing how he didn't have a ton of work. Oh, and he had done uh, Magic Mike. That was my big thing that I was trying to get him. I was like, no, he was in Magic Mike. That was a huge hit. Uh, unfortunately it didn't work and we went uh, back to the drawing board and uh, had quite a few people read for it um, most notably probably uh, Tyler Maine <clears throat> who is the uh, who's the actor who played Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie who is also Canadian I believe um, he uh, had a really good he read he was a former wrestler yes he was a former wrestler uh, he had a really good read but he just was reading too young to, to pull it off um but then we had uh, the casting. We had a younger competitive wrestler in the uh, in the show. His name is Sean Harley, which is a character that we had uh, created back in our backyard wrestling days. So I just kind of pulled directly from that little nugget of our past. I don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't exist. Uh, my backyard wrestling days. That I did it by myself. Okay. Um, Sean Harley was a just you know a young upstart like you know shit kicker and he's mean mugging. He's a mean madman, as you guys would say. Or as Darren would say, <laughs> um, but uh, so we had a lot of people come in. Some of them were uh, wrestlers. Some of them were just actors. A really wide array of performances. Uh, but one guy stuck out to me. One guy who I knew very well, not even necessarily from WWE, but from watching the Real World and Road Rules. Oh, yes, because yes. certainly the three of us have sat down and watched him in the Real World Road Rules challenges. Uh, it was none other than Mike Mizanin, The Miz. And the instant, not only did he have a great read, he came in and had the best read out of everybody. Um, there was nobody close. He walked out of there. He did the, the wrestling thing that you're supposed to do where you go in and you shake everyone's hand. And it was like really intense, really strong handshake, really strong eye contact. I was like, what is the deal with this dude? Is he weird? But then I, then Darren was actually, well, <laughs> is he weird? when I described that to Darren, Darren was like, oh no, that's what wrestlers do. They, as soon as they're in a locker room, they shake everyone's hand. Um, but he had a great read, and as soon as he walked out of there, um, I was like, guys, this has got to be him. It's got to be him. And me being a young writer, I like had no opinions about it. I just let the, the big wigs do all the decision making, but I was like, no, no, it's got to be him. <laughs> and they were like, well, I mean, he was pretty good, but like, I was like, no, he is headline WrestleMania. Former world champion, <laughs> former real world. They're like, do you think we'd get like, you know, is this like press release worthy if we were to cast him? I was like, hell yeah, it is. So the Miz was in, and uh, and that was the last I cared about it. <laughs> Everybody else was secondary. Yes. Now that I got my wrestler, well, I, know, I know that like, you know, I got a phone call from you telling me, oh, hey, we just cast the Miz uh, for my episode, 
And then, like, that night, Michael Cole announced it on Raw. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I was going to ask about that. Typically, when wrestlers show up on TV shows, it's mentioned on Raw. So, I guess there was there was an announcement made on Raw. You guys, yeah, I had no idea about that. Even when he was just cast. Yeah. I had no idea that that happened. That just made me feel so proud of myself. Nice. That, like, I, something that I did ha- was announced on Raw. That's you made cool. Michael Cole say something. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, unfortunately, The so Miz was the only like big time wrestler we could get. Uh, I think I was trying for a couple of other, you know, uh, other guys. I know Rob Van Dam at one point. No, uh, I, I wish. Uh, I know Rob Van Dam was somebody I was trying really hard to get just in, in anything, uh, but we just didn't. He was like he cost too much money for the small roles we had. So, so were there other wrestlers involved in like in the end though? There, I mean, no Rob Van Dam, no Kevin Nash, no Bret Hart. Um, but other than the Miz, were there other wrestlers involved? I mean, you had the Miz was playing, like you said, Sean Harley. He wasn't playing the the Gunnar Lawless character, so you had to fill all these other roles, the, the Lawless and all these other wrestlers. Did you have other wrestlers on set, or like was there other wrestling input from somebody besides just you and the Miz? Oh, for sure. Uh, we actually called on the. Uh... A local Fed, actually, I'm not sure what the Fed's name was in uh, in Vancouver, but it was led by a guy. I don't know if this was his real name, but he went by Scotty Mack. He uh, actually played the referee in the episode. It was his ring we used, uh, and it was another couple of guys uh, that played the other two wrestlers that were in the show. Uh, Travis Waters, who played Larry the Hangman Lee, who was uh, spoiler alert killed in the teaser. Um, which also Larry Lee is my dad's first and middle name, so that was a little tribute to him. And uh, playing Hellraiser is a guy named Paul Lazenby, and um, he had he had some words for me, and I had some words for him during the pro- production. Oh, do tell. <laughs> uh, as far as I know, he's also had uh, he's had a podcast where he's discussed this, but um, Paul. Took a little bit too much ownership of one of the one of the big set pieces in the episode, which is there is a match. Sam and Dean go to what is supposed to be this memorial show for the wrestler that passed away, um, and they are there. Gunnar Lawless was Dean's hero growing up. He was like the Hulk Hogan to Dean. So they're going to the show. They're watching uh, Gunnar take on this guy Hellraiser, and it's a squash match. It's like a minute and a half. Squash match where they just, you know, get their shit in and move on. Um, but I guess in the training, because these guys had trained uh, Alex, who was the guy playing uh, Alex Ponovic, uh, playing Gunnar Lawless, they had been training him for a few days or maybe up to a week and to give him some rudimentary uh, moves and stuff. And they had also planned out this match. Well, I was sort of like the go-to guy for wrestling. For whatever reason, when you have The Miz there... I was the one helping them book the moves and, like, tell them what moves to do and stuff. So, you know, I was like, maybe do a backbreaker here. And, like, The Miz was fantastic. Uh, Or I'm going to call him Mike because I usually call him Mike. Anyhow. Uh, Oh. I know, I know. Must be nice. I sound like such a piece of shit. But anyway. (laughs) But Mike would be like, oh, I've got this move where I kind of, like, put the head, you know, uh, what's it called? The Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, Skull Crusher for now. Skull, yeah. yeah. So, like, he he was like, I have that move. I was like, oh, that's awesome. The guy playing Larry Lee was great. He, uh, the Hangman, uh, he was a, a professional wrestler a long time, and uh, he was great. So 
they would they figured out a lot of it, and I helped. But by the time we got to the big centerpiece wrestling match, uh, the Miz wasn't there, so we didn't have him to consult, and we didn't have like a higher wrestling authority, somebody who'd been through the WWE ranks, to come in and and tell him what's what. And so we're they're going through this match, and we're just trying to cut it down. It's too long. It's like. Just got too many pieces, and I remember the well, idea- it was an Iron Man match. So <laughs> right, you probably you probably shouldn't have written that. Into the <laughs> I, I knew there was a something I did wrong. Two hour long episode <laughs> of Supernatural, but in the episode uh, or in the in the match that they had planned out for themselves, uh, uh, Hellraiser had some girl on the ringside that slips him the the foreign object. He clocks Gunner. Gunner's down. We think Gunner's going to lose. He, uh, he slips the, the foreign object away, and that's that. Well, again, it was just going too long, and I was like, let's just cut the foreign object thing. And he was like, well, I'm a heel, though. And I was like, so? Uh, he was like, I got to have a heel tactic. What, el- what else am I doing? Oh, my God. If I, if I don't have that, then I got nothing. Then what's the story? I'm like, and I, I feel not bad about it because apparently he's talked shit about me uh, on the air. Uh, on uh, Cyrus's podcast, according to Darren, um, but <laughs> I that was for whatever reason it came to me because I was I was honestly just a guest because writers don't normally go to set to produce their episodes. I was just there to witness the wrestling, and Jerry the Jerry Wanick, the director, was like, "Yeah, you can come in and help us figure out the wrestling stuff since you know that world." Um, and I was like, and I in front of a crew of a hundred people plus all the extras, I was like. I was like, dude, the story isn't about what's happening in the ring. It's about Sam and Dean. They're looking at Gunner. It's what they care about him. That's the story we're telling. Not your heel tactics, man. So just cut it. And I got like pissed and like, and I never do that. I mean, you guys know, you guys have maybe seen me like that mad like twice in my life. So um, I I think it was one time when you attacked Perry and one time when you attacked me. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Those are the two Uh, times we've seen you that way. Because Perry broke my my futon. Uh, I got mad at him and then you uh, accused me of guarding the golden gun in Goldeneye. And I got you in a headlock and I knew if I swing on Darren, this is not going to end well for me. So I let you go. I I, I thought you were overreacting with the futon thing, but I thought you reacted perfectly for the golden (laughs) gun. Right. Uh, So uh, I'm the asshole. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so and, and and you were by the way you were guarding the building. Oh, I, I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely was. Uh, so so yeah, so we kind of had that spat, and I and I as I understand it, Paul Lazenby has not soon forgotten that. And in case uh, our dear listeners don't recall the episode where I of uh, the whole Reffin show where I spelled all this out, go back and find it now. You know, Paul Lazenby is now the co-host of that podcast with Don Callis, aka Cyrus a.k.a. The Jackal. Um, It's the Making the Towns podcast. It was originally Don Callis and Lance Storm. I don't know why Lance Storm has left the show, but Paul Lazenby has replaced him. Uh, This was long before Lazenby replaced uh, Lance Storm. Lazenby was just a frequent guest on the show, and uh, this was not too long after the episode aired, and Callis mentioned something about it, to Lazenby, and that's when Lazenby took his opportunity on the Jericho Network, on Making the Town podcast, to say uh, uh, what uh, an idiot you were, and how Hollywood <laughs> would never understand pro, pro wrestling, and yeah, oh boy, I was, man, I was frying up some bacon and eggs that morning, listening to the Making the Towns, 
and I thought I was going to have to jump into my iPhone and somehow find Paul Lazenby in a Johnny Mnemonic way and beat him up for you. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, no, I, that's the thing is I do understand wrestling. I do understand that to get across, if this were an indie show, absolutely do the do the whole gag with the the foreign object. But that wasn't the point of what we were doing. It was a minute-long montage in the middle of a show about wrestling. And it was about Sam and Dean and their reactions to, to Gunnar Lawless. And, th- and it was a great scene. And here's my take. You might know a lot about wrestling, guy. You don't know shit about television, exactly. obviously. And this is first and foremost a television show. So let the guy who knows about television writing do his fucking job and you just be an actor and fucking stand where he tells you to stand because that's your fucking job as an actor. Yeah, th- and I'm an actor saying that. Yeah, I think he, because he's a bigger dude, he's kind of imposing. And I was on the, I wasn't even on the ring apron, I was on the floor and he was above me. Like he like got up on the ropes like trying to get it in my face and I think he was thinking I would like bow down to him. Uh, but I didn't, and I don't think he took kindly to the fact that I just bucked back. And at the end of the day, like, I know I'm just me, and to me, I'm just a kid from South Georgia who's lucky enough to be watching them making a wrestling episode, but the truth of the thing was, I'm a producer on the show in that, in that moment. That's your episode. That's my episode. Yeah. So fucking listen to me, dude. Like, just, like, exactly what you said. Yeah. When the director, Jerry, who... I, you know, I feel kind of bad that, like, I had to be the one to do all this, but, like, Jerry kind of gave me carte blanche with that stuff, but he, uh, you know, he backed me on everything, and it's like, well, when, when your director or your producer tell you to do something, just do it. You're getting paid pretty well for a pretty short amount of work, pretty small amount of work, so. Dude, that happens on any other set. Bye-bye, actor. We replace you. Yeah, it's for sure. that easy. If it was very lucky. If it wasn't a stuntman role, we probably would have canned him. And had Scotty Mack go in there and do it. Put a mask on just some guy. Well, yeah. Like I said, (laughs) the only reason it's because it was a very specialized stuntman role, so we couldn't just shit-can him. As much as I would have liked to. And obviously, like, I don't want anyone to lose their job, but, yeah, just... And ultimately, he did what was told, but he did it with, you know... Uh, shitty look on his face the whole time, but just just don't like said, don't the, cause a problem. Let people do their yeah things, yeah basically. exactly. And the scene turned out good, so that that's all that matters. It's a good episode too, and and I, I enjoy the episode. The Miz is very oh, I'm sorry, Mike uh, Mike is very good in the uh, in the episode. He is. He was great. Uh, good episode. Um, obviously, it's kind of a, I don't want to say a departure from the regular series, but like I think people look at it as the wrestling episode. I know a lot of like. Supernatural message boards because I wanted to kind of go out there and see what people were saying about that episode, and it's it's mostly positive, but it's very like. And there's that that episode where it's all about wrestling, and and people are just kind of confused about that. Yeah. yeah. Now, and, and despite the, the notoriety, I mean, hey, any press is good press, right? Sure. And not only, uh, you know, do you get some 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 confused supernatural viewers, maybe. But I, I know that among wrestling fans, you had to have brought in a, a, a huge amount of fresh eyes to that episode. And uh, despite what Lazenby might say, I know that a lot of your wrestling knowledge, both in your in-ring stuff and just in general, your handling of the lives of wrestlers, was applauded heavily by The Miz. Yeah. And no, the Mike, when he first got to the set... The um, Mike, Darren. The, the Mike. <laughs> Uh, the microphone. Uh, when Mike got to the set, he's he sat down with me and and I'm I'm still again I'm just like oh my god like 
you know, uh, I know it's because of Harley's, uh, the motorcycle company's colors are orange and black, but they gave them like orange and black trunks. But orange and black were also Sean Harley's colors in our old BYW days. So it was just like, oh my God, the fucking Miz is standing here. Former WWE champion, WrestleMania headliner standing here saying shit that I wrote. That's crazy. Um, but he came in and he was like, he actually asked me, he was like, did you used to wrestle? I was like, no. He's like, wow, because... Honestly, like, this is, like, so much, like, like, I've been here. I've been, I've done shows like this. Like, in the first, uh, the first scene in the teaser, they're in, like, a shitty little, uh, basically bingo hall, and there's, like, 20 people there. He's like, man, I've done, I've been there, you know. And, Take that, Lazy DC. Yeah. But Miz says John knows his stuff. Either that or, or Mike point. just knows who who's asked to kiss. <laughs> Although, who's that also, yes. But beyond that, I mean, you actually, I believe you struck up a friendship with the Miz. I mean... It wasn't just professional courtesy or ass-kissing, if you will. Um, there was a, a, some respect there, and uh, I think that, that blossomed into kind of a neat friendship for you, like a, a new Hollywood-type uh, friendship. Am I wrong? Yeah, I believe I believe the phone numbers were exchanged, and John will be giving that phone number out on the episode <laughs> later. So, yep, you we, stay, tuned so stay tuned, folks, if you stay want to, if you want to text The Miz. To, to text, um, text the mic. No, he's a... Uh, He's just, like, ultimately, like, a, a nice dude. And, again, I I was not, like, until... This is before The Miz, like, took off in WWE the past couple of years and had, like, the amazing run that he's on now. He was still sort of, like, a middling guy at the time in my mind. I was mostly like, uh, you and Coral sure did fight a lot on The Real World, and you were that goofy guy that <laughs> carried a wrestling belt around the house. So I didn't, like... I wasn't, like, worshipping him. Like, had Kevin Nash been on set... I would have been kissing his feet every five minutes because I would have I would have absolutely been worship like hero worshiping him, but uh, for Mike he's you know just kind of a normal dude. I mean like he's from Cleveland, right? And like I've got family from Ohio, and like you know it's just like he reminds me of them. He's just like a he's an amped up guy, but he's just a genuinely nice guy that you that can get along with anybody. He learned everybody's names. He shook everybody's hand. He was a fucking consummate professional, and he he was the guy that anytime they were like, "Oh, you can go step off of set while we while we reset, you know, while we redo the set, or you know, we switch the lighting, or we switch the cameras for the reverse angle," he would just stay there, and he's like, "I just like to watch everything happen. I, I want to learn more," and I just respected the hell out of that. Um, and and he'd already done like WWE movies. He'd already at least done the first Marine movie that he did. By then, there have been nine Marine movies. Yeah. Yes. Um, so no, he, he's, he, he, he's done a few things. I mean, he's obviously, he plays the role of a guy who, you know, who's an actor in Hollywood, but he is that. Yeah. I, I, th- I think if the Miz stopped wrestling tomorrow, he'd just, you'd still see him in movies and TV I shows I still dream, I've told him before and I'll tell him again, um, uh, like I will cast him in anything. Like I, the, if I ever get my own show, like he's on it. If, if his, uh, if, I'll cast him as my mother. <laughs> if, I, if, I do, if I do a biopic of my own life, right. uh, he's going to play Susan Bring Boston Pendleton. I'm going to hey, hold you to that. You know, you know John, uh, The Miz was actually a part of your real life. He could play himself. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to play your mother. He doesn't. That's true. That's true. Uh, I will play The Miz. Yeah, the Miz will play John's mother, and then be... someone else will, some random person will play me. Yeah. Uh, so. 
Who will play Kevin me? Nash will play, will will play Perry. And get, get, get Kevin Nash we'll Because you know what? If I'm making the movie, I don't care if he won't read the part. Uh, he'll just play it. But, um, yeah, we were, I mean, we were buds. We kept in touch for a long time. Offer only, John. Offer only. Yes. Yes. Um, nice. But uh, we texted back and forth a good bit uh, between filming and when the episode came out. You went to a party at his place. I did. Uh, but at his last place. I think he and Maurice have since moved to a, an even nicer place. They're <laughs> those poor souls. Absolute, they're like, I don't use this word very often. It sounds like a bullshit word, but they're stunning home in the Hollywood Hill, in the Laurel Canyon Hills. Um, he, uh, yeah, I went to a, a, a New Year's Eve party at his place, which was a lot of fun. I got there very late because I, on the invitation, it said RSVP before New Year's. I failed to do that, and he actually texted me uh, days before. I was like, hey, you coming or not, dude? And I said, yeah, I'll be there. But I never bothered to like send the invite, so I never got his address. So I didn't get there until like 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve. Oh, wow. uh, my wife and I had gotten completely dressed and ready to go and realized we didn't have the address. <laughs> got, she got furious at me because I should have handled that, and understandable. We got completely undressed because we're like, screw it, we're not going to go out. And then he texted me his address, so we had to get completely redressed again. So it was a whole mess. But anyway, it was a really neat pl- – I mean his place is amazing – um, there were a lot of wrestlers there. Let's see, uh, Corey Graves. Um, a lot, a lot of these people, I didn't even know who they were at the time. Uh, it would be later, uh, Tyson Kidd, Natalia, uh, Cody Rhodes. I knew he was kind of oddly standing off to himself, uh, by himself most of the time, just puffing on a stogie. Um, I was hoping Dolph Ziggler would have been there, but he wasn't. Uh, they had a, they had a cardboard cutout of Dolph Ziggler for some reason. Zack Ryder was there. Um, I think Alexa Bliss, Maurice, obviously, and I want to say, uh, and a couple of other like actor types, Clark Duke, um, and uh, Jimmy Sims from Westworld were both there. And uh, the, I mean, you you walk in there and he's got like chairs from like WrestleManias and stuff, like the kind they give out if you're oh, on the, that's cool, if yeah. you're on the floor. So he had a ton of those. He had like a, a an original like w, like a the old. WWF arcade game with the weird like video capture. What? Yeah. Oh man. He had that, which was amazing. Uh, tons of posters from shows he's headlined, and then the the piece de resistance was on his far wall, hung every one of the titles he, that he's won, which was just like Boner City, man. I was just like that was like one of the that was the time where I was like I can't I can't not take photos of this. I have to be I have to take a photo. Fo- you know, you got to take photos. But yeah, I, and I met his stuntman and his stuntman's wife pretty quickly. And I'm I'm the kind of guy that like just clings to one person at a party, so we just clung to them, uh, and it was it was great. Uh, but he actually used the stuntman uh, to go have conversations that he yes, he wants to avoid. Yes, he wants to try to get out. <laughs> of Yeah, so that's what he does. Hey, go, go talk to him because I don't want to talk to him. Hey, it's me, <laughs> Mark the Mize. No, he was he was like half half Mike's size. Um, okay. But you know, uh, Mike and Maurice were both playing hosts. I only got to meet her briefly, but um, she was lovely. And uh, anyway, it was a great time. And kind of since then, I mean, I haven't heard from him as much. He's obviously been, you know, pounding the pavement <laughs> in the WWE. Why is he so busy? I all know. Of a sudden? Last time we talked was actually uh, it's been a while now. But when he had that blow up on Talking Smack with Daniel Bryan, oh wow! And I texted him. I was like, dude, I don't care if that was real. Or if that was a shoot or what, I was like, that is the best promo I've seen in a long time. And he was like, thanks, dude. That's great. And we talked and, you know, how are you? That sort of thing. 
Um, and, uh, you know, he's had a kid, and I feel bad because I actually didn't, I never... You should have texted him. I know, I should have texted him to say congratulations, but I'm, I dropped the ball on that one, but... Like I said, he's just a good, genuine guy, and... <laughs> Give me your phone, John. I'll, I'll make this right. Yeah. He's, he's just a good dude. Hey, like, you should do I'll my like cousin's... You should do my cousin's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, if there's ever a way I can organically bring that up, it's coming up. <laughs> there's no organic way to do that, no. Well, I mean... No, you're right. There's not. Um, okay. So, John. So, for all the people that may have doubted you along uh, uh, along the way throughout the process, uh, people that may have thrown you a bone, like, uh, "Are you going to be miserable if it's not a wrestling episode?" For all the 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 victories, like with the Miz and the problems with Lazenby, overall, like, what was the reception to to the episode after it was over with? Like, uh, I, what was the reception and, like, what were your feelings with the finished product as a whole? Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think most of uh, most Supernatural fans are fine with it. I don't think it's, like, an overwhelming... It's not, like, an instant classic or anything. I think people, like, like Perry mentioned, are kind of, like, wrestling. Like, which to me makes sense because those two characters, especially Dean, is, like, such an overly macho guy. Like, of course that guy grew up watching wrestling. Like... What else would what else was he doing when he was a kid? And you know those characters are around our age anyway. Uh, but I think that like the the people who like it love it, and I think that if anybody knows or likes wrestling at all, they they tend to love it. Um, obviously, like we have so many inside. Jo- I slipped like a hundred different inside references for basically <laughs> uh, an audience of three. The three people in, you know that are talking right now. Um, so that was that was really fun and something really special that I could do <laughs> for me and my friends. Um, you know, uh, one of my bosses liked it, one of them didn't. Uh, I think, uh, the other boss, not Jeremy, uh, told me he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't too impressed with the episode, but I think that was simply because it was a wrestling episode, uh, and I'm just being totally candid here, um, I think it was because it was a wrestling episode, he never, he didn't have anything to, to do with picking the subject matter, so I feel like he just was resistant to it, he's very old school and... Felt like he should have been in on that, but um, you know that's a position a lot of writers are with, where you come in and the boss comes in after the fact, and then they don't like anything. So that's just that's just the writer's life, unfortunately. But uh, but I think generally it's a it's a well received episode. It's always as you guys keep saying, like it's the wrestling episode. I'm proud that I get to say that that I wrote the wrestling episode, and and everybody knows it. That's always the fun thing. Um, I used to do uh, our comic book is finished now, but we used to do conventions all the time. And you would see people with supernatural tattoos or supernatural shirts, and they'd end up coming over. Some people would actually see my Twitter and know that I was at a convention and come see me because of Supernatural to have me sign something, which is insane. The, the, the comic book you're talking about, by the way. Uh, oh, Penguins versus Possums. There you go. There you go. Um, but uh, but yeah, that. Uh, so they they tend to you know it's like fifty fifty. It's like if again if they get it they get it. If not then uh, it's still just a good fun one off episode. And who how can you not love? The one-off episodes. And in terms of how it turned out, I think there's a lot of great stuff in there. I think uh, Mike was awesome. The Miz was fantastic. Oh, thank you. I didn't know you meant yeah, yeah. the first time. Okay. Um, and uh, Alex, <laughs> the guy who played Gunnar Lawless, was really great. And um, so, and I had a, a blast. I mean, I, went, I was only on set. Again, we didn't produce our episodes per se, so I was only on set for like four days. And it was like four of the most fun days I've ever had in my life. Well, you had fun. You you made an episode of television. You you were probably paid well. We don't have to talk about that. 
Oh yeah, um, Supernatural is a is a money making machine. Right? Very nice. So take that, Lazen B. Yeah. Yeah. No, every time the episode shows, he probably gets a little little smidge of money too. Bastard. <laughs> get, we all get residuals, man. Oh no. I probably I, get more than he does. So ha <laughs> Take that. I love them residuals. Oh yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure you 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 kind of made your mark in the entertainment world with like having your own episode. And I know when it comes to finding new writing gigs and and uh, working on different TV shows, that like having that credit will help you out tremendously. Mm-hmm. And I know you're doing multiple things to uh, to to kind of find that next thing that you want to do. So I, I know you're 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 not you're not you're no longer supernatural. Yes, I uh, I wrote another episode the year uh, a year later, a full episode just to myself uh, called "The Memory Remains." Another one-off episode. I had a really fun time writing that. It was directed by Phil Segrisha, who's one of the best directors we have, and it was great. But yeah, since then I've decided to part ways with Supernatural. I've been there for six years. I kind of got everything I could out of that experience and decided to to go on to other things. Nice. And uh, your wife right now? Oh, yeah. Uh, my wife, Lindsay Calhoun-Bring, is a writer on Sabrina, the uh, upcoming, or the, I'm sorry, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, oh. which is going to be coming to Netflix soonish. Uh, I think sometime this year. Uh, they don't have an exact date, but uh, she's a writer on that. Uh, so I am uh, being a kept man at the moment and uh, doing my best to, to find the next thing and to. I have a writing partner, the guy who. Uh, at the, I wrote those, the two Supernatural episodes by myself, but uh, now I'm teamed with the, uh, the, one, the guy uh, who wrote Penguins vs. Possums with me, Sebastian Kadlecic. And, uh, you know, we're just pounding the pavement. We've had meetings with DC and Marvel and. Uh, Amblin Entertainment, among a bunch of other Warner Brothers. So, anyhow, we're we got a lot of irons in the fire right now. So it's just a matter of uh, the right thing hitting at the right time. I'm sure you'll land somewhere. Thanks. And we hope that at least one of those projects will be wrestling related. Uh, well, just so you guys know, <laughs> uh, our first script together uh, was a luchador wrestling pilot. Yes. So. Um, <laughs> I'm sure if my old boss, uh, my old boss at Supernatural saw that, he'd probably have a hemorrhage. Uh, because, <laughs> because he's like, why the wrestling? Uh, but yeah, it was a luchador wrestling thing called Rasa, and uh, it's pretty fun. So Nice, very nice. Well, I mean, you already have a Twitter following, man. It puts ours to shame. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, where can people find you? Plug your social media. Uh, let's see. My Twitter is at the underscore John underscore bring. That's right. The most pretentious Twitter handle I could possibly <laughs> think of. Um, I believe I'm uh, JR bring on Instagram. If you want to look at my pretty pictures, uh, we have a lot nice. of fun. Nice. Hey, we mess- have pretty pictures on Instagram. Hey, hey, you, message, you message us, we'll message you back. You like us, we'll like you back. No, I usually uh, just put my drawings and stuff. <laughs> I know the spiel. Uh, I do, I put drawings and stuff on there, but uh, yeah, find me. And if you want to look up Penguins vs. Possums, uh, it's Penguins vs. Possums. Uh, it is on Facebook. You can look us up at penguinsvspossums.com. And I'm pretty sure, oh yeah, on Instagram and Twitter, it's at pvpcomic. There you go. So I mean, uh, I, and very quickly, I'll toot your horn. Even, even when you seem, even when you feel like you have nothing going on, you actually have a lot going on, huh. and, I, and I appreciate that. That's uh, the hard work, folks. You got to have that work ethic to make it out here in Hollywood. It's a, a tough town, tough town, and we do appreciate you spending some time uh, with us here on the whole Refn Show. 
the only wrestling podcast calls right down the middle. Oh, can I fact. say it? Can I say it? Okay. Thanks for joining us here, folks. Dear, hashtag dear listeners on the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. The whole Reffin show. Nice. Nice. I really want to do that a long time, so thank you. <laughs> hey, John. Yo. Hey, John. You did it. Yes. Yay. I did. All right, I can go to heaven now. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> the island is done with me now. All right, well, make, make sure you pass on Mike's information to us first. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, John, for coming on the show. Uh, this has only reinforced uh, mine and Perry's deep regret that it took 86 episodes to have you on. Uh, but we are glad that you were here and joined us today. Excellent conversation. Always fun to see you, whether it's in person or now over the Skype. And uh, I hope our, list, our dear listeners have enjoyed your unique perspective on wrestling, on me and Perry, on the whole Raffin show, on The Miz, on Hollywood, on wrestling in Hollywood and how they mix and how they don't mix. Um, we definitely... Uh, this will not will not take another 86 episodes to have you back. I'll say that for sure. I will come back gladly anytime. Just call me whenever I'm having dinner with my wife. And I'll be <laughs> and I'll be there. Yay! Well, awesome. Thanks again for being on the show, John. Thank you. And once again, we absolutely have to thank John for uh, joining us on today's episode. Uh, a lot of fun talking to John. Uh Obviously, he's he's known more so for the Supernatural wrestling episode and right for Supernatural. It's where he kind of got his following from. We've known him forever, um, but it's it's cool that you know us talking about the early days of hanging out when we were kids and teenagers, getting into wrestling. It all came full circle, as you can see in his uh, career out here in Hollywood. So very cool talking to John about that. Well, it's like uh, it's like Richard Dreyfus says at the end of Stand by Me. Uh, you'll never have friends like the ones you had when you were 14. This is true. This is very true. So everyone else who wants to meet us, become friends with us, it's too late. It's too late. Yeah, sorry. You can't be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you can. Who knows? Uh, reach out if to us. If you're a wrestler, you can. <laughs> yes. Uh, feel free to reach out to us, folks. How can you do that? Well, there are a lot of ways to do that. Find us on Twitter, at Refn Show Podcast, R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Uh, find us on Facebook, like and share. We'd appreciate it. Look us up on Gmail. <laughs> Not that there's some kind of directory for Gmail that I'm aware of. Uh, find us on Gmail. Send us an email at show at gmail.com, T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E, R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com, or... Or you can find us on Instagram... We are The Whole Refn Show on Instagram. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Like our pretty pictures. We post all kind of pretty pictures. And sometimes some gruesome ones. Like them. Leave us a comment. We'll reply. We'll like your pictures. We'll follow you back. Hey, we ain't no follow back podcast. Yes, we are. And uh, please follow us on Instagram. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, we do appreciate you uh, joining us here today, folks. And uh, we will certainly try our best to have an episode next week. Uh, we guarantee it. We vow it, right? Nothing's going to stop us. We'll definitely be back next week. All right, guys. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's going to stop us now. Oh, God. Now I will be struck by lightning when I leave my apartment later. Um, <laughs> I never leave. I'm kidding. And that's it. Once again, folks, my name is Perry Smith. 
And my name is Darren Beasley. And once again, we appreciate you joining us on the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole Refn Show. Adios!